Hey, listeners. Welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. We're recording this on the day that it's turning to be 70 degrees and it's in February. And a couple days ago, we were wearing coats. And so here you go. This is what we love about the Midwest. Actually, what one of the things I love is how beautiful the sky is. All the amazing shapes of clouds and things like that. I'm kind of that geek that's looking around at looking up, watching the birds, listening for things. Um, and hey, it does us good. I'm, I'm a big fan and believer in nature. Actually, I was realizing something yesterday that one of the things that I believe is very important for all of us is to be aware of details and changes in general. And I was thinking about that because of my work in social work in terms of working with people who are going through really hard stuff, including thoughts of suicide um, and suicide bereavement and all kinds of stuff. But I was also thinking about um, art and, and how art expresses a lot in powerful ways. And overall, what I was concluding was paying attention. And I realized there's a lot of talk about mindfulness and that kind of stuff, but paying attention and noticing the details, noticing fluctuation, noticing change is really important for recognizing how life really is beautiful and worthwhile. You know, it's not that a day is all this or all that, or a week is, or a year is, you know, it's like there's, there's change all the time. And when we notice that we get some things to smile about, we get some things to feel sad or angry or whatever about, but we notice that we're not stuck in one place. And sometimes even we learn that there are some things that we can do that really help us break through those patterns of downward. Anyway, I'm encouraging everybody, go outside, do something different. Look at the shapes of the plants, the colors, maybe where you are, there's green grass coming up through the brown. I know that all winter, not that winter's done yet, but where I walk a lot with my dog, I've actually seen dandelions growing, which, you know, people go, well, I don't really like dandelions, but you know what? The fact of little flowers that are sprouting up, that kind of persistence, that's really cool. And I threw in that persisting word. Yeah. Different versions of that. We're hearing a lot about that. And that's a good thing. Persist. I like that. But more than just persist, enjoy. Find the joy. Find the highlights. Anyway, that's stuff that's on my mind, and you don't have to listen to me for an hour because I have a guest today who is one of the poets who will be at the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown April 21st through 23rd, 2017. April is National Poetry Month, so it's a great time for this kind of event, and poets are coming in from all over the country to be part of this event, to perform, to sell books, to read, to meet people in person who they've only met through social media and other electronic media. You know, it's an exciting time. It's a really great thing. And I also want to just mention for those who are in this area, April 21st through 23rd is the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown and the weekend before that on Saturday, April 15th here in Lawrence, Kansas, we will have the annual Poetry Fair. 
And that is a magnificent event, again, bringing in lots of poets from lots of places and books to sell. And that is organized by the amazing and wonderful Beth Schultz, who is a poet, who is a retired university professor, who is an environmentalist, a feminist, an activist in so many wonderful ways. So look at those April events, whether you're in the Kansas City, Lawrence, Topeka area or otherwise, look for that poetry stuff that's special and happening. And so I want to introduce, and they say, finally, would you get to this person? Yes, yes, yes. The person that I want to introduce today, as I mentioned, is one of the poets of the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. And as I shared with him by email, I have this delight in what his name is. So before I say it the way my son might have said it at the age of four or five, I would like you to introduce yourself, my dear guest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. My name is Raphael Maurice, and I am a poet, translator, and teacher, and I live in Washington, Missouri, near the Missouri River. And it is a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thrilled that you actually say Raphael because I didn't. I meant to ask you that before we started on air, because the names get pronounced a little differently, and I probably didn't say it just like you did. But, but, but I I love that that my son, who's named Rafferty, decided that at a young age he should be like the Ninja Turtle and be Raphael. <laughs> the, the Ninja Turtles. Uh, it was very common when I was in high school to have reference not to the painter or the archangel, but to the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> yes. Take what you can get. Take what you can get. <laughs> this same son, I just have to say, I, I love his way of looking at the world. When he and his partner adopted a dog from a rescue, they named the dog Homer. And so the question, of course, <laughs> is, so which Homer did you name the dog for? It's like both. Both Homer, the amazing writer, and Homer Simpson. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's an irony there, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure it out. <laughs> right. So you are in Washington, Missouri, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of close to Illinois, right? You're, you're a lot east of where I am. Right. It's, it's not too far from Illinois. You drive to St. Louis about 45 minutes west and then mm-hmm. cross the bridge into Illinois. And mm-hmm. I I taught at Edwardsville for a while and went to school there as well. Ah. That's where I got my poetry degree. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I, I love that drive to Edwardsville, especially. There's, there's all the moss hanging off the sides of the trees and kind of these swamps off to the side. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, a lovely drive. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. So tell us a little bit about how you started writing or when you started writing or if you even remember, you know? Uh, I think I, I've been trying. I mean, most of it is a relationship with your trash can. But um, <laughs> um, I started, I, I tried to make poems from when I was very young and I certainly wasn't good at it. I don't think most people are immediately. There was no none of Rambeau's uh, blood in my veins, so to speak. And um, I don't know, it was just always something I was attracted to. We In my, the house I grew up in, we had records of T.S. Eliot reading and his oh, wow. voice mesmerized me as well as his poems, of course. Mm-hmm. And there were books in the house. And uh, I grew up in Gerald, Missouri, which really it was just a house uh, near a rock road and the, the mailing address counted as Gerald, Missouri, which is a extremely small, rather poor town, uh, impoverished town. 
has maybe two gas stations and uh, a grade school and you can it, it literally you can blink and miss it if you're, you're passing through but in my poems in particular the ones about Gerald I I wanted to make um, not a mythology or a hagiography about it but to, to see what was there and to make something beautiful out of at, at times rather dire surroundings so I, I guess that's sort of a long way of saying I'm from Gerald Missouri so <laughs> And uh, that's, uh, I always go back to that place or often go back to that place in my mind's eye when I'm making poems. Mm -hmm. So tell and, me a little bit yeah. about what it looked like, more than just that little bit you said. What, what is uh, that in there? Well, um, I, I, I mean, I'd have to, so there, there was a bar with, it actually had sawdust on the floor and it was out of a barn in the middle of town and it was where people would go to have pizza and beers and corrals. And I remember getting to go there with my parents occasionally and I liked root beer and pizza. And then years later, and I have a poem about this, you just notice the people at the bar, you know, hard smokers, heavy drinkers, that sort of thing. And it, it's not just that, it's not just that it's, you know, but, um, a lot of, it's just very blue collar. Um, and I don't know, it just has a certain romance for me. And maybe the romance about Gerald, Missouri could be scoffed at or jeered at if you actually saw the town. But I, I think one of the duties I feel is to not record only the broken places and people and things, but to try to, guess what I'm saying is try to make something beautiful out of something that perhaps isn't. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Very much so. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a rough town. It's it's definitely a rust belt, um, you know, midwestern town. That yeah. So, although you you mentioned that a lot of uh, familiarity with the trash can, I'm I'm still interested. In uh, how how long you been writing? Like, some oh gosh, uh, since I was I'm I'm almost forty now. I'm thirty nine. So um, I mean I. It's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I guess my, the first poems I wrote, I was fifteen or sixteen, and they were god awful. You know, they were like bad diary entries. But um, you you know, so so what would that be? I'm I'm not a mathematician. I guess <laughs> I, I've been I've been writing for over twenty years, but really only seriously for ten. So. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And what what was that? What is that about for you now? I mean, you you mentioned that you studied poetry in college, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you you were one of those people who said this is something that is serious and I can, I can spend this time studying. Um, even though a lot of people get that discouragement because you know, you'll never earn any money as a poet. Yeah, right. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. There's the question that comes up at parties and I won't say my response to it in, in a public <laughs> forum, but I, I, I never liked the question. What do you do? Uh -huh. especially when it comes from a stranger. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? At a, like yeah. you're at a drinking party or a cocktail party. What do you do? And you just want to give the most savage answer you can come up with or the most ridiculous answer. But I, I'm sorry, for the, back to your question. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know why I'm thinking of that, but it just, could, could you, could you re repeat the question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was on my mind. Well, I'm I'm interested with with everybody who I meet who creates art about sort of how they started and 
and really what the meaning of it is for them personally. You know, before you get it to an audience, you know, yeah. I'm really interested in, in what the writing is about for people. Well, for me, you know, you were talking about therapy and, and things like that. While, often poetry can serve as, I guess, a sort of therapy. And when you're trying to make something to make a well-made poem, I think there's an ethical side to that for not, not just the fact that you're sitting quietly at your typewriter or computer working and thinking, but also you're not hopefully causing harm, you know, in, the, in time and space, you're, you're, you're isolated and you're, you're focused. And I, I, I just, I, I think one of the goals of being making poems and, and writing is to, to make the person better, the, the writer a better ethical agent in life. And that often doesn't happen. I mean, it usually doesn't, but it's still... So, so uh, yeah. you, you just created a whole new idea of here for me. So, mm -hmm. so perhaps when we send postcards to the White House, we can right. encourage that person to start writing poetry to become a better ethical mm -hmm. person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the grants while you can, <laughs> while the grabbing's good. But uh, no, no, I just uh, it it. So poetry for me is very. Um, so Robert Pinsky talks about poetry existing in the column of air in the throat. That it's 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 not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just on the page, but it's a bodily thing, like. Um, I don't know. It, he, he has this, I'm not a big fan of Pinsky's poetry really, but his writings on poetics are wonderful. And at one point, I forget what book this is in. I, I can't think of it right now, but he says it is as if we are singing to each other all day. And so back to the ethical dimension, I think it's important to pay attention to how and the ways in which people are singing to us and at us and with us uh -huh. all day. Uh -huh. And that, those, that can translate into objects and people. But mm -hmm. so, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess from hearing T.S. Eliot on record, on records and like, I, I tend to listen to a lot of poetry out loud from like John Berryman and Lowell and James Wright, where I can get my ears and, you know, what I can get my hands on. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just love to hear. So when I was at Mizzou studying Greek and Latin, my tr errant and truant friends and I would usually often because of me get a bottle of whiskey and we just get stacks of books of major poets and just read aloud. And that, that was a very important period in my life when I was in my very young, you know, young twenties, early twenties. And it was like a continuation of the record as a childhood of Eliot and things. And uh, to hear my, my dear friends at Mizzou, uh -huh. reading aloud and uh i was intimidated by their intelligence and their 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 uh, abilities as poets and it was a good sort of envy because it has led to me you know to making poems of my own and to be a, a serious reader i suppose and mm -hmm. attentive attentive to texts and sounds so yeah so you found people with the right mix of alcohol and and intelligence <laughs> well in the, since they'll probably be listening to this, I would, again, you got to face what you are. You have to face unpleasant facts in life. And so the alcohol was mostly due to me. Um, uh. 
I, I have to say that <laughs> the, the uh, symposium was a symposium proper because of my guidance. And uh, so, <laughs> but it, it really was a lovely period. We read Frank Bedard aloud and uh, just so many fine poets, you, just W.S. Merwin and men and women I had never didn't know ex- I, I didn't know existed and uh-huh. it was a really moving experience and forged some really good friendships so yeah it's, it's wonderful and it's it's to me surprising um the idea you know i i haven't i haven't heard anybody talk about that kind of experience with peers with friends with people during those university years and so that's that's really interesting that mm-hmm. this group of you valued that uh, yeah. You first, you know, actually, when you when you first said that in your household growing up, that there were recordings of, of poetry, I found that mm-hmm. really interesting. You know, when I think about any little memory I have about something musical or you know on a on a you know that was played in in my mom's household with us, um, never anything as highbrow as poetry. <laughs> oh well. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say we're a highbrow family in any way. I mean, we, we do have to return always back to Gerald, Missouri, but there were a lot of books and things like that, but uh-huh. hardly a highbrow family. <laughs> uh-huh. But there was that interest, which I, I, I think is really wonderful. You know, that's really yeah. exciting that, that that yeah. was just something that was there, you know, also, as you mentioned, what this community of Gerald, uh, Gerald, Missouri might really have been like it. It's an interesting mix of things that your yeah. parents must have been involved with and valued, you know, that, that you were exposed to the sawdust beer drinking pizza place as well as this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a nice mix. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what it is to get along in a democracy is to mix amongst high and low, even uh-huh. with yourself, uh-huh. and, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, like- that's probably decent definition maybe i don't know well it's a wonderful thing and and i'm the one who used the word highbrow and so that's kind of a kind of bad to make that distinction but but (laughs) definitely being interested in in different kinds of things that aren't necessarily obvious fits together you know trying different things learning different things reading different kinds of materials listening to different kinds of, of things in terms of you know, whether it's talk radio or classical music or whatever. I mean, there are all these possibilities mm-hmm. for us to to expose ourselves to things that maybe we didn't know we might like. Maybe we don't like yeah. them, but we don't know until we hear them, until we're experiencing right. them. Yeah. Right. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you came to school, you studied poetry, you had some really good experience with some other people, and... I'm wondering sort of what's what's mostly in your life these days. Um what's in my life these days? Um well, some some wonderful poets are in my life these days. Cool. Um Stephanie Russell, I'm I'm going to her husband's birthday party tonight in uh-huh. St. Louis and I can't wait for that and she's a magnificent poet. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Soulier was just out, a buddy of mine from St. Louis, where we di- we, we've digitized his full book. He's a monster of a poet, too. Ah. Jeremiah Driver, who I, I'm editor at U-City Review, and we recently had the honor of publishing Jeremiah Driver as the noteworthy poet 
took 14 or 15 of his very, very, very fine poems. Um, yeah, just so many. I mean, it, it's, I'm no longer in a school setting per se, you know, okay. where I'm a student, but um, I, I, I just love to be around poets, even if we violently disagree on politics or <laughs> anything else. It's just, I, I, at this point, I'm stuck with them. So and I love it. <laughs> well, I know you shared with me that, that in addition to being a poet, that you're a translator and a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I, uh, so my friend Jeff Pethybridge, another just m- monster of a poet, his books, Driven the Right Treaties, is just an amazing work. And um, he is a editor at a site called Like Starlings. And what they, I, I don't want to ventriloquize, ventriloquize, you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> put words in his mouth. But um, what they do is they have two poets uh-huh. for, for, that correspond back and forth for each poem. So ah. what, what they did was they invited me to translate Heraclitus, a uh, pre-Socratic philosopher, and I translated some fragments of Heraclitus and then made my own sonnets out of his words and mine. And so that was a really exciting project. And uh, so that, and I've translated some Latin like Catullus and, and stuff like that. And, you know, just, you only, only know one language your own that you're born into really, but uh, it, it's exciting to read to get to go to texts like the New Testament in Koine Greek, Common Greek, and um, yeah, really work with those those sources. And so it was nice because I think I might be the only one on Like Starlings who wrote a poem with someone who was long dead. So <laughs> I like that. I, something talent. about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was I was envisioning this mix of things from the literal cutting up of poetry and assembling mm-hmm. you know different different pieces in in the two authors' voices to uh, just just regular writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, as we're talking about this, and I I don't want to neglect letting our listeners and me hear some of your poetry. So I wonder if sure. there's something that sounds like the right thing for right now. Uh, yeah, I was going to read a, a, I'll read a poem called The Natural Order, which which uh, mentions Gerald in the last stanza, if that would be okay. And Absolutely. yeah, it's a celebration of family and also maybe um, kind of casting a critical eye on it too. So this is called The Natural Order. It was the time the wicker sofa flew down a ravine during rains when my father stole into the shadows, along a highway where the rig screamed, a buck fifty soaking wet. It's time to make accountings of what's been seen, to hope what was seen can be recalled, to pray for an aerial view, a plotted grid of green, why, a garden patch, the eye's strength, the sure shot BB kept still inside the knee as a reminder that your first love was God. God came and shot you in the knee point blank. It was in a pasture where from time to time motorcycles went by like bumblebees. God was a boy then laughing with fire in his hair, begging no word of it to his mother. Over the hill, the ball players came and took the field. 
as you pitched, the lower leg of your uniform veined with blood. Sodas all around, the fizz of sugar in your face, victory. When Dr. Johnson sincerely came and tried to pry it out, it didn't come. The middle of town, brown vinyl and zipped up buildings, sun singing against the day. Then rain came again and you were big in love, the way it must be skipping through a kerosene town, poking around the right knee, staring at the field of green and gold, the wind scorched dream. He'd rarely bought ice cream, but there were so many books to read, enough always to digest and wait on. And the forest was heavy and dark. It was an amusement park into which not even God could go. His wrong height, wrong hair, wrong, and so rejected from the ride. You kept this love mute within your chest. When the rains abandoned Gerald, you took his hand, his life, his side. Lovely. Thank That's you. one of those reminders to me that I love hearing like you do. I love hearing poetry out loud and I really appreciate when I have it on the page as well to go back oh. to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's a poem that in a sense is still rooted in Gerald. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And interesting for people who consider Gerald as a person's name uh -huh. Uh -huh. and not also a city name, the way they might interpret that. Yeah, yeah, you very well could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you connected with the throwdown. I'm interested in how people are... Yeah got involved. I, I know Jameson Bales and Jason Reber right. and their their desire to bring together an eclectic crew that will really have wonderful experiences together as well as for people who are simply audience and not writers. So so tell me a little bit about that, how you got involved with the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. Well I, I Jameson Bales I believe messaged me on Facebook and just asked me to come, but I, I'm not really sure of like how it all came together. And he was, <laughs> um, cause I told him on messenger, I have the traveling habits of Emily Dickinson so far as I leave my house to go to work and I vacation once every 10 years. And so I'm, I mentioned to him that I'll be there for th the three days, you know, at Prospero's books and, um, at the Casey poetry throwdown but i did mention that it would be my uh my my trip at least for the year to kansas city because uh i actually yeah he he was just very kind about it and he seemed excited that i was coming and there are going to be so many fine poets from around yeah. the u.s yeah. there so um that, that's really it he just mm -hmm. and um so jameson I, found you and you said yes yes and then my my fine poet friend uh brett underwood uh -huh. i know he, he he i think he i, I don't i don't want to not fib because i'm not actively doing it but i think he put a a word out that might be nice to maybe have me at at the the throwdown and uh -huh. um yeah it's, it's just pe people kind of in a really gracious and kind way pulling 
pulling for me and everybody else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm so, really excited. I love Kansas City and Lawrence too. I've spent a lot of time there. So, right. so yeah. I'm wondering, based on your you mention of not spending a lot of time traveling, do you do performances very often outside of your immediate area? I've done some readings in St. Louis, and mm-hmm. I'll do it any time. But to be honest, it, it's I, I have to say there's a good deal of anxiety about it. Um, once I get going, I'm okay, but 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 contemplating reading of, of 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 people who I'm sure are smarter than I am and and maybe more versed in poetry or whatever, how, however my imagination takes it, it, there is some like like fear about it. But I, I think that's good to have some nerves and fear when you're approaching mm-hmm. something. It's not always a bad thing. It keeps you it on point, sharpened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when it's not to the point of being debilitating, it's it's one of those right. it's a safety thing. It's an encouraging yeah. thing. It's something. Oh, yeah. You know, I I I'm of the mind that some of us have what I call go-to emotions that were um, just they're usually with us. You know, with to certain mm-hmm. degrees, not always to the same size, but they're there. And so. Then we get the opportunity to say, hey, anxiety, we're going for a ride. We're going up to this mic. <laughs> right. Right. And Strap I, on your boots and get over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's even, well, not even getting over it. It's just getting over there. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, again, facing unpleasant facts. Those emotions are going to be there no matter yeah, what. So they are. Yeah. Hopefully you can channel and turn them into something decent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They don't have to to be barriers all the time. Sometimes they are. No. I mean, I, I I'm very very understanding that sometimes emotion is so intense that it really limits being able to do things that on other days are very doable. You know, and I think right, we right. need to respect that uh, uh, when we recognize that somebody's having a hard time doing something that we think should be easy. And then yeah, to, yeah. to hit, follow that thought with, if it were easy, they would be doing it. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. To, to you have to try, trust trust them to be able to do it or yeah, and trust yeah. them to know what's best. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's really important. There's a compassion that we sometimes miss the opportunity to show. So I'd like the opportunity for people to learn and and remember and and think about things a little differently and so maybe maybe uh, learn a little bit about what it's like for somebody who has some some intense emotion that that you might not experience because mm-hmm. it, it's just like okay you would understand if somebody had a broken leg and they weren't easily able to run <laughs> it's like that right right anyway. there there as I've put it there aren't wheelchair ramps for those who have uh invisible let's say disorders or yeah. things like that yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah That's oh it's good. good to take a mental health day once in a while and, yeah. and talk poetry yeah, yeah very <laughs> much so hey we're gonna take a short break right now so that we can hear from a couple of the businesses that are sponsors of lawrencehits.com local businesses so we're gonna do that and i get to say thank you to daniel smith who produces the show and then we will be right back with talk with me and today's guest, Raphael Maurice. Thanks. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and I am talking with Raphael Maurice, who is an 
Missouri in that town called Washington, Missouri. Um, I looked, it was about, it's about four hours away from where I am right now. But uh -huh. in April, the 21st through 23rd, he will be in Kansas City at this cool thing called the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, the second year of this event. And for people who want to find out more about that, I just want to mention, you can find that on Facebook. Um, there is a Facebook event labeled Kansas City Poetry Throwdown and lots of interesting information about poets who are going to be there. And the there is mainly Prospero's books in Kansas City, Missouri. There is some stuff at the writer's place and rumor has it there may be something at Charlie Parker's grave. More about that stuff to come. But again, you can find information on Facebook at Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. And you can also find find information on the um, website of Spartan Press, Google Spartan Press. You can Google Spartan Press Throwdown and get to that page directly or just go to the Spartan Press website and you'll find there is a page for the throwdown that will tell you some things about some of the wonderful people who are coming there. It's an event that people come to from all over the country. Poets are there with experience. People have been writing since, you know, the 60s or earlier to people who are newer in the craft. Lots of different kinds of different styles, different tones, you know, people that are going to make you laugh out loud and people that are going to get you thinking and touching some of your deep experiences that may bring even a tear to your eye, but it's all good. So keep in mind that Kansas City Poetry Throwdown during Poetry Month of April. So we were talking about that thing about performing, reading, and, and how for you there's some anxiety there. Um, and mm -hmm. I want to ask you about your writing in the the question of, are you somebody who has a writing kind of routine structure or how, how does it work for you to actually get things from your brain and heart onto a page? Um, well, when I started, I was under the misapprehension that because you had a feeling or some intense first person emotion that that required you write and i've discovered quite some time ago it doesn't matter um in fact i think it's best how do i say this um i think it's best to push away the initial emotions you have and try to find things that correspond out in the world to those emotions things people in the world um and not just i i i, I i'm i'm against expressing just feeling in poems as I think most poets are. Um, so the craft of poetry from writing sonnets to villanelles, you know, the formal craft and all of that, sound and sense have to be so linked and almost indistinguishable, if not indistinguishable. And it really is just a vocation in the sense of, of um, yeah, I guess I do have a schedule. I, I mean, I write at work when at downtime at the college, I'll make notes in the notebook. And if I, I know when I have a draft that's worth going back to, I usually know when I'm in the moment making it because the feeling is one of unemotion, of an absence of emotion. And that's not to say like I'm dead inside or something, but it's this feeling of, I don't even want to say tranquility. You feel nothing, but you feel absolutely 
in the moment dedicated to making something that's well-made and, and true and good. And uh, it's a rare thing when, when I get to do it at any rate or when that happens, but that that's really all I know what, how, you know, to, how to address that is that um, it definitely is not uh, poetry is not just expressing your feelings. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what might prompt you and what I'm thinking about is some some writers I talked to have said things like, and in their awareness of what's going on during the course of a day, they may be jotting down phrases or recording those mm-hmm. on their phone mm-hmm. when they're driving or whatever, that, that there's mm-hmm. sort of this, you know, collecting tidbits and then at some point sitting with those or being inspired by something and coming back. Mm-hmm. To that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering about that part too, sort of where, where those poems come from. Oh gosh, it's a good question, but it's one I feel unable to answer. Where do my poems come from? Where do poems come from? Um, gosh, I don't know. Sometimes it's the first line you get, which is often in French is called la donnée or the gift. It's just a line that comes like grace. It's just given to you and you have to build off of it or around it or within it. Um, that happens and that's a joy, always a joy. And again, it's not a, it's a feeling that the line calls you to work, it, it, but it has very little to do with your personal feelings. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound like this is mathematics. It's not at all because memories, of course, figure in to at least my poetry and I think most poets so much. Uh, memories of love, um, you know, uh, growing up, you know. I, I, as far as a writing schedule, I try to do it every morning, and every uh-huh. evening. So, uh-huh. I mean, that's just putting your butt in the chair and working. So. <laughs> Uh, there's there's no mystery there, um, and I, I I you know I I think you have to read just as if the devil were chasing you. Read the works of other poets, and I mean back to Eliot. I he said, "Good poets borrow and great poets steal." <laughs> and, um, I think if you're going to be able to steal and to make poems that are your own while adhering to that tradition of stealing, it seems self-evident that you'd better be trying to read as if your time is limited because it is. Uh And to try to schedule not just writing, of course, but but really serious engagements with texts. Uh Yeah. And you obviously, who you might read spans centuries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, 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 Francois Villon um, is just, uh, I, 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 I don't, of course, write like him, but it, the, the spirit he embodied and the life he embodied is so important to me. I, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe he was uh, hanged at the gallows for some crimes. And uh, he was just... Um, you know, he, he wrote um, beautiful, beautiful work and de- devotional work, you know, devotional in the sense of devoted to God and recognized as he would, as you can glean from his text, that he was a sinner and wanted to somehow make beautiful poems to the Virgin Mary, to God, to ask forgiveness of the, from the world for what he had done. And he manages to just, I mean, the 
there's nothing like Villon. And then, you know, I, I mean, there's so many poets to mention. Um, George Herbert's devotion. I really like devotional poets, uh, George Herbert and John Donne. Um, James Wright, I don't think, ever wrote a bad poem. His complete works uh, in his book, Above the River, his collected poems. I've yet to come across a dead one, so he's a big, big figure. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so many, though, so many. So and, a lot of admiration for past as well as, I'm sure, current poets, some that are your friends, some whose work you've encountered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, w I would love to have you share another of your poems. Sure, sure, no problem. Um, I just uh, wanted to say this is for Christina, and uh, it's called To Go to Hell for This Love. And it so just to preface it, it starts with a, a rather long epigram from a church father, Tertullian, who I won't, I, I'll read the epigram, but just to unpack it a bit. Tertullian thought that the pleasure of heaven was to be able to peer into hell and basically mock and laugh at the sufferings of the souls in hell, which I think is a really pathetic and ugly vision of what heaven might be. Mm -hmm. So I'll read Tertullian's um, little quote here and uh, then read the poem. This is Tertullian now. At that greatest of all spectacles, that last and eternal judgment, how shall I admire, how laugh, how rejoice, how exult, when I behold so many proud monarchs groaning in the lowest abyss of darkness, so many magistrates liquefying in fiercer flames than they ever kindled against the Christians, so many sages, philosophers, blushing in red-hot fires with their deluded pupils, so many tragedians more tuneful in the expression of their own sufferings, so many dancers tripping more nimbly from anguish than ever before from applause. And I, so just to, um, just to highlight that, I think that's a really awful vision of what heaven would be. And yeah. if, it is, if that's the case, we might all be better in hell. So this is the poem for Christina. As you lay across a fallen oak, I grew grateful, like many heartsick boys, to God. To my wizard who made this scene, the forest, the jewel birds singing in rows, an owl's green erudition haunting its perch. Oh, the ease when you, the dream, leapt into my lap, your body an electric map all for our roaming. And though some virgin ghost does peer into our hell and crosses out our country names, I was in love and claimed that right. Now, more than I care to mention, sleepless, you come again to purr, though my wife's body stirs, predictably near, missing the ease of your sunlit hair. I shuffle along, cleaved and wedded to the world. In dreams I breathe God-made fumes, lucky to sense the blaze that swallows whole. Could you, nearest to me, measure what took place within our choir of a forest when we finished, woke, and let our bodies sing again? It's beautiful. 
I, I have to admit that I got distracted by the the hell heaven. <laughs> yeah, it, it, at the beginning, like man, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and and I and I and I just am compelled to to contrast that that view of heaven as the place to look and laugh at the suffering in hell. To um, yeah, you would think you would have come up with something better than that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But in the in the in my mental health realm, in terms of things that that mm -hmm. I'm aware of, there is a person, a psychologist researcher, who's who's created um, a, a therapy program that really makes a huge difference to so many people who are really struggling, people who are struggling with suicide attempts and self harm. Mm -hmm. Her name is Marsha Linehan, and mm -hmm. the the therapy is called dialectical behavior therapy. Just mm -hmm that out in case anybody needs it but the reason i'm mentioning her is that she has um she has a very public article um about her her own life which is that she is one of the people who has struggled greatly um with suicide and hospitalizations and self-harm and suicide attempts and all of that mm -hmm. and, and that a turning point for her was as she says she recognized that she was in hell and that she was going to get out of it. And then she was going back to get other people out of it. Hmm. So, so I'd like that reference much better than, than the one your poem starts. <laughs> yeah. 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 Th there's, there's a wonderful poem by John Berryman where he addresses what hell could be. And it, the name of the poem is called the facts and the issues. And, uh, yeah, he, he has a, I guess, I, I think your friend Marsha as well uh, would be, would respond to his poem, Facts and the Issues. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Tertullian can go to hell. <laughs> I said. Very interesting, very interesting. So I'm guessing that there occasionally is a light side of you that shows up. And I'm wondering what are what are some of the silly fun those kinds of things that you really oh yeah enjoy? yeah uh, mimicry I like uh, mimicry I tend to be decent at that um, over drinks I like puns um, I mean all of the friends who I've mentioned you know my friends in the during this podcast uh, so yeah th they know me as pretty much a goofball. <laughs> there's there's no getting around that all right I mean, it's um i like barbecuing i love playing extremely loud rock and roll music from the sex pistols uh -huh. that i caught at an early age and punk music and um gosh yeah i mean all, all sorts of cooking barbecuing going for walks drinking i mean drinking it's just yeah uh -huh. mm -hmm. are you a, a person with pets uh, I had a dog for a while, but alas, he's no longer in my, uh, under my care. And I, I love animals. I absolutely do uh, love dogs. I'm thinking of getting a cat. I, I have a two story house here now and it's just me really. And I think it would be nice to come home to a cat uh -huh. if not a dog, but dogs are harder to take care of. Obviously. They're less independent. True. They have, they have more needs, but they are, Sometimes delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, w I was in possession of a bulldog named Hank for a while, and he, he was he was just a a magical magical dog. 
uh-huh. really sweet and loyal and liked to cuddle and he was just yeah and as a puppy he was a complete maniac which was as it should be and uh-huh. yeah hank was uh is a wonderful dog all right I, I have a I, I have an aversion to cats that developed because we had cats and we had one cat in particular who was beautiful to look at, rather mm-hmm. skittish in general. And mm-hmm. I realized that she was peeing in the house on places. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the final straw was when I realized it took me a while to realize this, that that at the top of our stairs on our second floor, um, there's kind of an there's enough area that we have this big bookshelf, which has a shelf that's pretty close to the floor as the bottom shelf. And oh, I realized yeah. that the cat was peeing on the books. It's like, that is just not okay. <laughs> no, that, that's a bad review. Definition of a bad review. You could even begin a review with so-and-so's book. I knew it was no good when my cat peed all over it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the cat had good instincts <laughs> that we don't know about. I don't know. <laughs> so beware of opinionated cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so in your teaching, you haven't mentioned this, but is your teaching related to poetry? Um, yeah, um, I'm, I, I tutor English at the Learning Center at East Central College, uh, uh-huh. which is in Union, Missouri. It's about, on a good drive, it's 10 to 15 minutes. Um, oh, gosh, is that north or south? Uh, south of here. And um, I, so, yeah, I mean, I, in, insofar as I get to read poems at work during downtime and any student that comes to the Learning Center and seeks me out with, poetry I'll gladly you know sort of do an informal workshop or just even just talk other poets or whatever with them but at generally what we do there at least in my capacity is work with students on their essays and so there's this essay by George Orwell politics in the English language in which he gives advice on how to not use stale phrases always use simpler words uh Mm -hmm. And the, the main argument of that essay is that bad writing leads to bad thought, leads to bad writing. It's this vicious circle. Ah. And and so I use that with students as a guide and as a guide in my own, you know, little, I guess, attempts at essays. And so, so yeah, I, I mean, in this language definitely plays a big role in what I do at the, at East Central College. And it's a, it's just a wonderful group of people there. And, um, yeah, I, I love it. I'm not saying that because my boss is probably going to listen to this. But it's, just, <laughs> it's a joyous job. It's just something I can't believe I lucked into. So, yeah. And when you say that, it touches my heart because what that tells me is that those students who come to you and work with you experience mm-hmm. that love from you of what you're doing with them. And that makes the world such a better place, seriously. Yeah, I certainly hope they sense it. Yeah. And I, so like if I get a paper emailed to me for review mm-hmm. and I'm harsh about it, I will say in the email, and I mean it, I always say, sorry if I come off harsh, it's because I love language and I care about your papers. And generally that, that works because, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, they, 
there, there, there's some wonderful students there as well. And there's some students I work with that have real disabilities, physical disabilities, and they're just amazing to work with and the, their level of striving against all odds. And I mean, without going into the, the too much detail, mm-hmm. it's just wonderful to see a student in a wheelchair that has to speak into a microphone to get his or her paper Mm-hmm. into a computer and then they need help and they're they're doing this against all odds and, mm-hmm. and that takes gut i mean yeah. they have more guts than anyone i know so yeah yeah, yeah that's wonderful that is wonderful when when you were talking about the the uh, writing kind of guidelines mm-hmm. um i i heard a phrase that i thought was so delightful and then i realized it was not original to the person who was speaking it but I was talking to a person who is based here in Lawrence named Mark Hennessy, who is a poet Mm -hmm. and a musician and Mm -hmm. and has a doctorate and taught at the university for a while, but now he's teaching high school kids in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he he used the phrase, eschew obfuscation. And I thought, what a beautiful (laughs) pair of words. And, And I wasn't quite sure, you know, it's like, this is so cool. And I thought it was something that he had come up with. And then I read that. No, oh, it's a common advice to writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My 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 co-editor, I work with Andy Cox, who's another just to say he's a good poet is not to do him justice, but just a great major poet. Uh he he took courses as he might put it back in the stone age at, at wash U and Mona van Doing was one of his, his uh, mentors. And she would, he, he, Andy described the scene to me. She was chain smoking as you could in class then. And um, she would read a student's poem and quite often say, obscurity is not profundity. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's always to be borne in mind. I like to think of her doing that, even though uh-huh. of course I'm not her. <laughs> that's important to realize because there's probably a point in life as a young writer whatever new writer that right might believe that <laughs> oh yeah it's got all i mean hence the relationship with your trash can of, uh, <laughs> or yeah, perhaps I mean, but perhaps what you're saying is some people need to have more of a relationship with their trash can or recycling bin or delete <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, sure. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think, like, I would have to say, seventy-five percent of everything I've written is in the trash can, and mm-hmm. or, or at least in a. I, I shouldn't go that far. I have this, I have this uh, box here in the house, this metal box, and it's rather large, like an army box, a mm-hmm. uh, military box, mm-hmm. and how many poems in there that. It's like Pandora's box. I know I shouldn't open it. I, I as of yet haven't. I haven't. I really don't want to revisit all of that horror. So, so when it goes there, it stays there. <laughs> it, it just, you know, if I can steal a line from something, maybe I'll go back to it. But uh-huh. I, it's it, it's it is my basket of deplorables. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. <laughs> Well, we're getting to the last few minutes of the show, and I wonder if you have another poem that you would like to share with us. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, this is, let me just grab it off the table here. So th- this one's called Utopia, 
and it really it's really just a lyrical poem about the midwest and i think that that will probably emerge so that's all, all i have to say about it um utopia this is the hard land of miracles land of arias over the fields land of music made by the god at morning land of nerves land of the timpani heart savage struck by the hands of the blind this is the land of lint and lee jeans pockets outturned begging like dogs this is the land of bales of the final storm that bears open the earth does violence and in turn is spat upon by its own children this is the land of early eager kisses this is the overturned log it too part of the land where she offered herself leaving chicken scratches on your heart the log of days and nights the map of the rudderless and hellbent this is the land of celebrations one boy in a party hat blowing a red kazoo this is the land of basement homes where the owners fail year after year to come out into the sun this is the lonely land land of eminent domain land of the open palm this is the land of the greeter in her wheelchair welcoming you to another land fluorescent on the fritz the new land of the mentholated voice hoarse and bitten by the crab this is the land of forgiveness the land of good horses grown wild from neglect the paralytic forgives them and so have i this is the land where our visions go bucking land of stirring and beginnings land of the sunset this is the land of justice though no land is this is the land of sincerity and toothache old eyes searching for a daughter noses rubbed clean off at the bar this is the land of ditches land of the dog's grave land from which you can never go back return land of the pillow that hits the hay of lightning that can never go home land of the bleak snow of waiting at the door with presence but never knocking this is the place we were ashamed of that seems now like so many others its size and scale reliant on the mind's weather land of the unmapped land of my dreams that's lovely oh thank you yes ode to the midwest <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah the utopian midwest yes <laughs> well we get to i get to thank you on behalf of our listeners for joining me today this has been lovely hearing you rafael maurice and i want to remind listeners again that if you're in the Kansas City area or can get there, April 21st through 23rd is the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, and you'll be able to see schedule information closer to that time. But that would be one chance to hear this poet in person. And that's always the best. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been fun. You're welcome. Lovely. Thank you. And so long to our listeners. <laughs>